Well, good morning, Blackman Baptist. So we have been going through our, our Proverbs for the last few weeks. I hope that you're reading along day by day because it really just takes a few minutes and you'll, you'll see things in there that will that'll remind you throughout the day of, of truths that you read. Um, we could have stretched Sunday school a little bit longer today if I, if I had chosen to dig into one of the things I read yesterday, but... We needed to be disciplined about our time. So, um, We're in the part of the book, though, right now, in this latter part of the book, where we're seeing a lot of little one- and two-line nuggets, right? We're seeing collections of one- and two-verse sayings. They're typically self-contained. Um, they, they don't seem quite as thematic. They, they don't need context. You can just read, read the one-line verse, and you know what it's saying, and you don't need to know what the verse before or behind says. Uh, they're, they're, they're focused a lot of times on just practical, practical guide to how to live upright, how to be ethical, how to be a good leader, how to be a smart business person, how to be effective. There's guidance for relating to other people, taking risks or being cautious. There's encouragement to hard work and there's warnings against all kinds of bad behavior, laziness and drunkenness and, and dishonesty and different things. These Proverbs contain a lot of wisdom, and they're principles that tell us truths about life, about the reality that God's made, that that He's put us into, and how it works. Um, Helps us to understand what that reality is, and how to conduct ourselves within it. But they're not simple guaranteed formulas, and we've talked about that a little bit. That they're, they're general truths, they're principles, but they're not, they're not all uh, ironclad guarantees that if you do this, this will happen. They're, they're principles. But as we, look, as we look closer to Scripture, and even the Proverbs themselves, and, and look a little bit deeper and look past that surface of the good advice and the wise sayings, what we, what we see constantly is, a, is an emphasis on the heart. And that's really where I want to focus today is, is the heart. Because God's always paying attention to the heart. And I noticed even in our songs today, we had at least two of the, two of the songs that mentioned the heart. Um, one, one indirectly and one directly. And I'm not sure about the first one. I didn't, I didn't pay attention closely enough on the first one. But we had this, this line from Rock of Ages, Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. What's it talking about? Our hearts are dirty need to be washed. So I'm foul with the sin that I have. I'm flying to the fountain of Christ to wash me or I will die to wash my heart. So we, we have this concept of heart. It's, it's, all through, it's all through the Bible. It's all through the songs that we sing. It's all through um, even in the Proverbs. This most practical of books talks about the heart and addresses it directly. So I wanted to spend a little time today looking at what does the Proverbs have to tell us about the heart? In, in Scripture, we find that the heart is, is sort of the center of a person's character. It's where their, their will, their desires, their motivations, their, their deep, deep desires, that's where that lives. Um, the heart is hidden. It's invisible. It's a little bit mysterious. But it's not completely unknowable because, because it, the Scriptures teach us that the heart drives our words and our actions. And those are visible. So if the heart is driving our words and actions, then we can see where the heart is by the things that come out of us. So before we jump in, let's just pray real quick and I'll, I'll start in with our focal passage. 
Father, we come to you this morning and, and I, I thank you for each person that you've brought with us today. Father, we know that in your, in your world there aren't accidents. You, you bring us together for your purposes. And Father, I pray that we are blessings to each other today. And that I pray, Father, you'll use your word to touch hearts, to move us toward you, to, Father, to seek, to seek the redemption of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So I picked for this morning, and we've been, we've been pretty free with how we structured this series. I picked one verse as a focal passage. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a whole, lot, a whole lot more verses as I go through, but just one verse as a focal passage. It's Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Turn there in your, either in your journal or in your favorite Bible. What I'm going to do is a little different than what I usually do. I'm going to read this one verse from several different translations. I've actually written down, I think, six different translations. Now, I only did that, A, because it's short verse, so I can do it. But B, the, sometimes the translations bring out little different variations that help us shape a little bit more color around. Because every translation has to make choices about the words they use. And so when you see how all the different translations treat it, sometimes you can get a fuller picture of, of the meaning of the underlying language. So let me just start. Proverbs 4.23, hear the word of the Lord. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. King James tells us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Amplified Bible, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The ESV says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. New Living, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And the NIV, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So we can hear, certainly, these are just variations on the same theme. But to kind of summarize, what did we hear? Keep, guard, watch over your heart. Keep, guard, and watch over your heart. And how? With all diligence, with vigilance. What is diligence? Diligence implies intentional, constant effort. It's work. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to keep at it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to lay off. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's diligence. Vigilance. What is vigilance? If I'm watching over something with vigilance, I'm, I'm prepared. And, what, and you know what? Actually, I'm expecting something to come up. That's what being vigilant is. I'm expecting a problem. And so I'm prepared to deal with that problem when it comes. So I'm diligent in my work and my effort. And I'm vigilant in expecting things to come up. And why? Because your heart determines the course of your life. Because it is the source of the things that you do in your life. The direction that you will go and how you conduct yourself. So this one verse, that's kind of what it's telling us. We must keep and watch, watch over our heart faithfully, diligently, because it will determine how we go. That's our verse, 423. So from that, um, we, we can see in Proverbs, Proverbs often discusses different kinds of hearts. Proud hearts, humble hearts, good hearts, evil hearts, wicked hearts, crooked hearts. 
as if, as if all these hearts are just labeled and sorted, right? But it isn't really that simple. In, in truth, our hearts are a little more complex than that. Um, I, I always think it's interesting. It's not Scripture, but Solzhenitsyn said, was it, or Dostoevsky, I might get, be getting it wrong. One of those Russian guys that went through a lot. Uh, but the quote was that the, that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Right? That he was, he was making the point that it's easy from the West or from the East to look at the other side and say, those are bad guys, those are good guys. And he's saying, no, it's just not that simple, guys. The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And while that's not Scripture, it's consistent with what Scripture tells us. So we can affirm it. Um, Proverbs teaches this, that our hearts guide us, but we also must use our mind and our will to influence our heart. And we got to let God transform our hearts. So our hearts need to be managed, shepherded, disciplined to love and seek God's goodness. Because wherever our hearts, whatever our hearts value is what we are going to pursue. And so from this text, I want to have basically three points for my outline. It's going to be that your heart directs your life. You can't trust your heart. And you must allow God to transform your heart. Your heart directs your life. You can't trust your heart. So you have to let God transform your heart. Those are the three points I want to dig into a little bit with you this morning. Your heart directs your life. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, and he, of anyone, he knows about hearts, doesn't he? We hear over and over that he could see what was in someone's heart. But I think Jesus meant to teach two things here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It kind of goes both ways. And he's saying that you can, you can get a measure, take a measure of where your heart is by watching where you put your treasure. Right? If you put time, effort, money, investment into something, that indicates where your heart is, doesn't it? It's an indicator. It's a way to look and, and understand. <coughs> He's also saying sort of the inverse, that we can guide our hearts by where we invest our time, our money, our resources. Both are true. We can influence our own hearts by making those decisions. He also taught us in Luke, in Luke 6, 45, that, that the words we say are simply a reflection of what's already in our heart. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is, this is Jesus saying that what comes out of your mouth, it came from your heart. And, and so... That's a way that you can get an indication of where your heart is, but what's coming out of your mouth. And we know we're complex people. And Proverbs emphasizes this. There's such a thing as, as deceiving, right? And saying good words in order to trick other people into thinking that your heart is better than it is. So we have to be careful. We can't just say good words and declare our hearts good. We have to really inspect ourselves. But the words that you say when you're off guard and when, and when you... Uh, are being honest and candid, that's coming from your heart. Solomon tells us this in Proverbs 16.9, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So we see there's the heart guiding a person's way, 
but also a recognition from Solomon that ultimately the Lord's sovereign and a person's heart just can't make reality happen. Although it can point the person in the way he wants to go, God still can dictate how things end up. So while our hearts steer us, we are constrained by God's will and purpose. And I wanted to kind of, I want to use this illustration for you, and I'm going to hit it actually multiple times as we walk through the outline. Um, and if you've listened to me preach, you probably realize there's, there's three topics that I just think are so interesting for illustrations. One of them is sports. No sports today. One of them is like history and war and stuff like that, but we're not doing that today. The other one's, oddly enough, airplanes and aviation I just think are fascinating. So I'm going to talk about airplanes this morning. So if we think about an airplane, not a small basic airplane, but an airplane that's a little more sophisticated with an autopilot in it, that's kind of what I want to, to play around with a little bit. And I know Rodney's a pilot, so if I say anything crazy, just forgive me, brother. If, it's, if, it, if the illustrations always only go so far, I realize that. Um, uh, I don't, Kevin, I don't know. Your dad was a pilot. I don't know if you're a pilot or not. Okay. You probably know a thing or two. You could probably, probably school me if I needed it. So, but anyway, the autopilot of an airplane, what does it do? Well, it can control the airplane. It can, keep the, it can keep the wings level. It can keep the nose pointed in the right attitude, right? It can also navigate for you if you've got a sophisticated one enough. You can actually tell it where you want to go, and it'll help steer. You can tell it, I want to be at this altitude, because that's where the controllers tell, told me it's safe. So it can control the physical direction of the plane. So once you engage that autopilot, it's controlling the mechanical parts of the plane, making the plane do what you want it to do. But when the pilot turns on the autopilot, does he go to sleep? No, no, no. Never. Because he's still in charge of the airplane. The, pilot, the autopilot is a helper to him, but he's still in charge. He's not giving up control. He's still responsible. So now, rather than spending his time and energy on moving the sticks and, and adjusting the trims and tweaking everything, he's making sure that he knows exactly where he's supposed to be from the ground, from, from the ground control. What altitude am I supposed to be at? Where am I right now? Where am I going to? How far away am I to my next turn? So the pilot is changing his activity to be more of a high-level activity. And instead of moving the sticks, now he's managing the autopilot. So he's making sure the autopilot is doing the right thing. That's what he has to do. And what is, how does he do that? I would say that if he's doing it correctly, he's watching it diligently with all vigilance because his life is in, is in this airplane and possibly lives of many others if he's in a big plane. So diligently and with all vigilance, he is guarding and watching over this autopilot to make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now as he flies, it's controlling the flight itself but what if it flies into dangerous weather or some downdraft, some wind condition? Well, there are limits to what the autopilot can actually handle. He has to be ready for those circumstances. And that's what Solomon means when he says a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. That plane can fly into something that the autopilot has no idea is there. I'm going to touch a little bit more on this as we go. But do you see how your desires and your values in your heart will steer your life? Of course, 
your inner, the core of you, the things you care most about, they can't help but guide what you do. Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your money? How, how do you do these things? It's all based on the desires of your heart. You can't prevent it, but you can help guide it. And that's what Proverbs calls us to do. So think of a time when you went wrong. If you ever did. Maybe some of you have gone wrong at a time or two. I know I have. And why? Because your heart led you astray. And you weren't ready. Your heart took you to a place you weren't supposed to go. That leads me to the next point. While our heart does direct our life, Unfortunately, we can't really trust it. We know that it controls us, but we can't trust it. And that's why Solomon tells us to watch and guard so carefully. Now, Jeremiah, and I'm sure some of you are already thinking this ahead of me here. Jeremiah in 17.9 warns us. You know, don't you? The heart. Who can recite this verse? I bet I've got a couple of wanted kids that can say this one. What does Jeremiah say about the heart? It's deceitful. The heart's deceitful. You knew that, didn't you, Eli? (laughs) No, I know it was Rachel talking, but I was watching your eyes. The heart is deceitful. And And Jeremiah even goes to say, above all things. There's a lot of deceitful things in this world. What's the most deceitful of all? Our hearts. Deceitful. What else does he say? And desperately sick. Who can understand it? So our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Another translation will say desperately wicked. Who can, who can understand it? So we've, a lot of us have memorized this verse. Why? Why would we memorize such a downer verse? Well, we need to be warned, don't we? It's critical for us to understand that our hearts are corrupted by sin, by the desire to go against God. So the Word teaches that the answers to the problems that we have, they can't be found within these crooked hearts. We need to look outside. And the Bible teaches that those answers are found in God's Word and that the power to save only comes from God. That's quite a difference. The clear message is you can't trust your heart. You can't trust it. Proverbs, in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 9, it asks a question. It doesn't give us an answer. It just asks a question. And then the question is, who can say... I have kept my heart pure. I am cleansed from my sin. That's what it asks. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure and I am cleansed from my sin? Proverbs doesn't give us an answer. It just asks us to consider this. Well, the answer is nobody. I haven't kept my heart pure. I don't think any of you have either, as good as you are. God did. Jesus did. Only He has walked in this world without being tainted by sin. Only Him. That's it. So let's, let's step back for a second, back to the autopilot. I want to use a recent example. This, is, this has been in the news lately, and it's really sad, actually. So Boeing has, has launched this new aircraft called a 737 MAX. If you've ever flown Southwest, you've flown on 737s. A lot of the airlines have them. they got a new version of it called the MAX. It's really awesome. It can go a long way, and it's got efficient engines. But... They have a problem with the autopilot. And they've had two crashes. Have you guys been following this in the news? It's actually relevant. Trust me. (laughs) So 
The problem is with the autopilot. There's the autopilot, and I won't get into the details of it, but there's a portion that's like an autopilot. It's a safety feature. It's like part of the autopilot. And it's intended to prevent crashes, but it instead has caused crashes because there's a problem with it. And so they've had two crashes. Um, under, certain, under certain conditions, the sensors that feed this autopilot get messed up, and it gets the wrong signal, and it makes the wrong decision. And the decision that it makes is nose down hard nose down, that's the decision the autopilot makes. And if you're trying to fly this plane and the plane itself is trying to push the nose down, you, you have seconds to react correctly. And there have been two flights where they did not react correctly and the whole plane went down. Over 300 people have died in these planes because of this. And it, it's only been out like a year. So after the second one crashed, all of the civil aviation authorities in the world grounded the airplane. They said, it's not safe to fly, can't fly it until this problem is solved. Um, but the company that produced the plane resisted. They said, oh, well, it, we don't really know why these planes crashed yet. You know, we, need to, we don't need to overreact and shut down the program. It's, we'll figure this out. Um, because there were, there were reports of the behavior happening with pilots who were a little bit better trained and were actually able to react. They were actually able to disable this feature and save the plane. But that didn't come out till later because, because a plane having a problem and recovering from a problem isn't a big news story. A plane going into the dirt is a big news story. So these stories didn't come out very clearly at first. Now, let me tie this back to what we're talking about because it really does, it really does apply. The vigilant pilot with good training, was able to prevent the disaster his air, to his airplane. He was able to stop the autopilot from making the wrong decision and crashing his plane. I'm looking at Cole. You're a, you're a pilot too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bear with me, brother. Um, I would say, to, to spiritualize this a little bit, the autopilot in these planes was desperately sick, and who can understand it? And the company that put it out didn't want to admit that it was desperately sick. And so they waited, and they delayed, and they, they didn't react in time. It's real, and it's tragic. And you can't trust your heart. We, like that company, we can, we can sometimes want to put this off and say, oh, oh no, no. I mean, yeah, I, I did something bad, but... My heart's in a good place. Well, no, probably not, actually. If you did something bad, where do you think that came from? Did it come from a heart in a good place? Let's, let's be honest. Like this company, this company had to finally be honest. They didn't want to. But that's what we have to do, too. We can't trust our heart. The world, self-help books, movies, music, shows, the constant message that they're sending to us is to follow your heart. Trust your heart. Your heart knows what's best for you. So, so go with it. But unfortunately, that's not what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us that you can't believe your heart. That it has to be governed and shepherded. It has to be transformed. So have you believed these lies of the world? That your heart is the thing? That's the, that's the guide that you must listen to? Have you believed those lies? I'm sure that many of us have from time to time. It's easy to do. And it saturates our culture. 
No, listen to Scripture. Have you actually ever repeated those lies? Thinking that you were being helpful? Have you ever said, oh, follow your heart. Your heart knows. I, I don't know if I've ever said it. It's possible. I'm kind of a, a curmudgeon, so I might not have said that too much. But, but it wasn't from wisdom, probably. It was just from being a curmudgeon. So I'm not going to take a ton of credit for that. Our heart is not to be trusted. It's to be watched and guarded diligently and vigilantly. Now, given that our heart is so influential in how we live, and given that we can't trust it, then what? We must allow God to transform our hearts. That's what we need to do. If our hearts are going to direct our lives, we must seek training for our heart and transformation because our heart's really like a rebel. And Solomon tells us in Proverbs 4, in uh, verses 3 through 4, he says, this is neat, Solomon, if you just think about it, he's talking about his own dad. Solomon says, when I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my command and live. So Solomon is talking about who? Who's his dad? David, right? David told him, son, hang on to my words in your heart. Your heart must hold on. So he's telling Solomon that your heart is not something that can't be controlled and governed. It's something that you, you, have, to, you have to manage. So take my words in. Bring them into your heart and store them there. Keep my commands and live. That's what David told Solomon. In Proverbs 23, 26, I would say, God is telling us through Solomon, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. It says, My son, give me your heart. Let my eyes observe, let your eyes observe my ways. So, what does this mean? I, I need to give my heart over. I need to relinquish control and I need to say, God, it's, it's yours. You, you do what you think is right with it. Because I know I can't trust it without you. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So Solomon's saying that our heart can be shaped, moved, and transformed by God and His Word. If we want to seek life, we must seek that transformation. After after the second crash of that new uh, plane, most of the world's aviation authorities grounded it. The company resisted, like I was saying, tried to say everything was fine. They didn't want to believe that the problem was as serious as it actually was. So, but the government forced them to shut it down. And what happened then? They give it over to the engineers. Here's the black boxes. Guys, figure out what happened. Run it through simulations. Look at all the possible scenarios that could come up to make sure that we understand all the different things that can happen with our autopilot so we never take another plane down. So the engineers are now working on it. And they're trying to figure the answers out. And they're trying to test all the conditions. Our hearts are like that. We're slow to want to examine our hearts. But God's calling us to examine. Take a look. Dig deep. Look at all the circumstances. Look at the black box. Right? We want to think, oh, my, fi- my heart's fine. I don't think I need any adjustment. There's nothing to see here. It's all good. Don't worry. And God's saying, no, no, stop. 
You might, you might need to ground it for a minute. You might need to get the engineers. Come in here and look. We must be vigilant. But you know what? That's kind of what Proverbs does for us too. If you think about these engineers and they're running through simulations, all these different scenarios. Oh, what if the plane is running into high winds at this angle? Oh, what if it's, doing, what if it's descending and the gear's down? Like all these different scenarios they've got to figure out. Proverbs gives us scenarios. In these little quick snippets, he's, he's doing a heart check. And Solomon's saying, hey, here's a scenario. Here's how you should act. Is that how your heart tells you to act? So I'm just going to run through a few of those real quickly. This is um, um, just to kind of give us a flavor of, of what, how we should be looking for our hearts. Our hearts need to have humility. They should be characterized by humility. So we talked maybe in every sermon so far, I don't know, it's a key verse in Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that's humility, right? We know where we stand before God. We've talked about that. I'm not going to go into a ton of that. But if, if the wisdom of God's Word, if you put yourself below God and you fear Him, then what if the wisdom of God's Word contradicts the desires of your heart? Well, you've got, you got a conflict. How do you resolve it? If you're picking your heart, you're choosing the wrong way. If your heart is in contradiction with God's Word, it's not okay. You need to adjust. And if you, if you take the wrong way, can you really say that you love wisdom? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. How about discipline? Who loves discipline? I can't put my hand up. I, I can't say honestly that I love it in every circumstance. But do I avoid it or do I, do I approach it with respect? Do I, do I sometimes or do you call discipline legalism? Because legalism is bad, but discipline is good. And if I call discipline legalism, maybe I can get out of some stuff. Right? Has anyone ever done that here? Present company accepted. I'm sure none of us would ever do that. No, we might. Because our hearts are deceitful. So don't do it. Discipline is a good thing and God calls us to it. So humility... I was reading just yesterday, Proverbs 27. Yesterday was the 27th. And the Proverbs said, don't toot your own horn. No, it didn't say that. It said, in chapter 27, verse 2, let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Right? So maybe to paraphrase, don't toot your own horn. God's saying, it goes against what the world teaches us to do. I have literally sat in classes at my company, and they tell us, Market yourself. If you don't, no one else will. Right? That's what they're selling. That's what they're telling me. How will people know how valuable you are if you don't tell them? But yet, the Word tells me, let another praise you. Not your own mouth. It's it's tricky, isn't it? When When you do something good, you want people to know. Right? So do you listen to your heart? Do you, do you pump up yourself or do you let other people, do you let other people recognize you? Don't assume a place of honor. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. This, this is an interesting little scenario. So remember, he's, he's given us heart check scenarios. Right? The first scenario is just fearing the Lord, understanding your place before the Lord. The second scenario was, hey, you did something good. What are you going to do about it? You praise yourself or you let someone else. Here's the third scenario. You're in, a, you're in a place where you have an option of 
where to sit. Now, this sitting might be a metaphor, right? It says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So the, the image here is that you're, you're in the court of the king and you just presume, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit by the king. If no one kicks me out, then hey, I'm sitting by the king. And people will associate with me with the king. And I'll get the influence and the power from being next to the king. Honestly, that is worldly wisdom for sure. Take your opportunities. Don't, don't squander those opportunities. That's what the world would say. But the scriptures tell us, don't put yourself forward. Don't, don't assume and take the place of honor because it's, it's better to be called up than pushed down. Wouldn't you agree? If you come into the court of the king and you sit on the bench on the side of the room and the king says, oh, oh, hey, Rodney, don't, don't sit over on the bench. Come sit by me. It's way better than sitting, on the, sitting next to the king and him having to say, uh, Rodney, that's JJ's seat. You need to go sit on the bench. So we, we don't want that. We, we want to be called up, not put down. And, and that's a principle from Proverbs that our pride's going to struggle against that. We want to be honored. Jesus also confirmed this. Jesus talked about this very thing in Luke. So we have those kind of humility tests, heart checks. We also have um, God wants us to have generous hearts. And at one point, and I failed to write the reference down here, I'm sorry, but he, he tells us in Proverbs that gifts to the poor are loans to God and he will surely repay. Right? Isn't that interesting? A heart check of generosity. Is your heart naturally generous? Mine's not always. Maybe yours is. Probably not, though. That's why we're talking about this. But Solomon is saying, how's your heart doing on generosity? Because gifts to the poor are loans to God, and He will repay. How about this one? Proverbs 24.17 tells us, when your enemy falls, don't gloat. That's hard to do, isn't it? How many of you ever had an enemy, somebody that was really a problem for you, and they fell, and, and you thought, ah, I'm kind of happy right now that he fell. I've had this happen. Even in the last couple of years, I had a significant situation at work. And uh, it ended up that the, the person that was causing me grief ended up gone. Well... Um, I hope I didn't glow too much, but I can't say that I really regretted it. So how, do, how does my heart handle that? That's a heart check. I need to ask myself, how, how do I think about that? God wants us to have a heart of submission. So He wants humility, He wants generosity, and He wants submission. Now, submission is so hard for us. We're Americans and we're proud. We don't want to submit. When, when we, we look, though, in the Proverbs, we see all these different Proverbs that talk about how, how we should receive correction because a wise person receives correction and welcomes it because it makes them better. But in the New Testament, too, and, and I wanted to bring this up because it's such a challenge for me and for, and for other people. How many of you know the verse in Ephesians that says, Wives, submit to your husbands? Has anyone ever heard that verse? Never heard it. Nobody's ever heard that verse. Oh, you have, Sarah. You are the one honest person among us. That, that verse, by the way, integrity is, is a key virtue in Proverbs. So. Uh, that verse causes so much grief, right? Because 
nobody really wants to submit. Women don't, men don't. But, but there, are, there are some people who love bringing that verse up, um, sometimes in jest, uh, to be honest, sometimes in jest, but sometimes not in jest. But you know what the verse immediately preceding it is? It's hardly ever quoted. Do you know what it is? There's a, it's actually a lot of verses. It's a very long sentence. But Paul is telling the people in Ephesus, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't talk about that one as much, do we? We're to submit to each other. And yes, male people too. Not just women. How many of the male people in this room enjoy submitting? I see no hands. Including mine. Right? I don't enjoy it, but I'm called to do it. And why? Out of reverence for Christ. So by submitting to Christ, which ties back to what? the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, out of this reverence for Christ, I have to submit to my brothers and sisters. That can be tough, right? And we see the the example of Jesus in Philippians. It talks about how He came down. He gave up His place of honor and glory in heaven, came down and submitted Himself to even death. And that's all powerful. But if you're like me, I think, okay, I know that Jesus set the perfect example. But Jesus was perfect and I'm not. I don't know if I can do that. So, so let me give you an example from someone who's a little more relatable to you and me. I mean, he's still kind of up there, but he's not perfect. And that's Peter. The Apostle Peter, we know from the Gospels, was far from perfect. Right? But he was faced with a situation where he had to submit. And it was a tough one. But I want to tell you that he did a good job. So Peter was Christ's designated leader when Christ... When Christ named Peter, or he, he said, Peter, um, when Peter gave the great confession, he called him the rock. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, the Catholics take a different view of that than I do, but, but Peter's clearly given, given authority to lead the church. Jesus told him on the shore of the lake, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter's mission was to lead the church, right? Now, who came along later? There's this guy named Paul. Saul at the time, but then, but then later Paul. He came along later. He wasn't a disciple. He didn't walk with Jesus. In fact, he was an enemy of the church. But then he was converted, right? He went off and studied some theology for a while. And then he came back. He did a, and then he went up to Antioch. And there's this co- big controversy about Gentiles and how the Jews and the Gentiles are going to work together. What are the Gentiles' requirements to be Christians? Well, to, to cut to the chase, Peter was struggling with a little bit of, of hypocrisy and how to handle this. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2, very boldly, Paul says, When Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came. He, and he goes on to say that the other Jews had joined his hypocrisy. And then he, and then he continues, I told Cephas in front of everyone... 
If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's saying, I called him out. I called him out. And who is Peter? Who is he again? The leader of the church, right? James, the leader in Jerusalem. Paul's the newcomer. But what did, how did Peter respond? Well, it's recorded very indirectly how Peter responded. But we know that after this episode of confrontation and rebuke, frankly, he went to the Jerusalem council. Peter did. And Paul was there also. And you know what happened? They were in harmony. They agreed. The Gentiles are Christians. If the Holy Spirit accepts them, how can we not? Right? So they, they agreed. Peter accepted this. Later, he wrote his own letter where he affirmed that Paul's letters were scriptures. He, he talks about, you know, Paul's writings can be difficult to understand. But don't, don't allow people to twist them. Because sometimes they do. Like they do other scripture. That's what Peter said. So Peter is affirming that Paul's writings are scripture. Does this sound like someone who's, who's resisting and angry at being confronted? No. No. And you know what else? Some people say, I, I don't know, that we don't know exactly the timing. But Paul and Peter were both martyred in Rome about the same time. They may have even possibly seen each other in jail in Rome. We don't know exactly how the circumstances unfolded. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified in Rome by the same emperor, probably the same year and possibly even the same day, some traditions say. So what are these guys doing? Just like Weston was saying, the, the martyrs in Rome, Paul and, and Peter were among them, among some of the first of them. They didn't stop serving Jesus. They didn't stop serving with each other. They didn't stop because, because Paul had to rebuke Peter and Peter submitted and he took it. It's remarkable to think about. So Peter submitted to Paul, who frankly was a former enemy, a real enemy. The disciple come lately as one untimely born as he called himself. And this is the example of submission that we can follow. We can try to follow Jesus too, and I would encourage you to. But, but Peter's might be a little bit more relatable. Because, because Peter was not perfect. And neither are we. Our pride, our achievements, our position, our, our accomplishments. We, we have to submit everything to the truth of Scripture and to each other. So as we conclude and, and get ready to close, if I, if I could get the musicians, if you want to come up and get ready to play some music for our response time. The question is, how can we transform ourselves? We can't. We can pursue discipline and we should. We can study God's Word, and we should. But only Jesus can do the transformation of our hearts. He describes it as being born again when He talks to Nicodemus. And He reminds us that you can't cause yourself to be born again, to get a new heart. This comes from God. But Jesus also tells us that His death on the cross that pays for our sin, that can wash our hearts and make us right with God, it's accessible to us through faith. And He asks us to only believe. If you're not a believer... Jesus says that we need only believe that He is who He says He is, the Son of God. That we can trust His death on the cross, His payment for the crookedness of our hearts and the sin of our hearts. Will you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Will you ask Him to bring this change to your heart?
Or will you be like this airplane company that doesn't want to admit there's a problem? If you are already a believer, Jesus says that we need to submit ourselves to God, to His Word, and to our fellow believers. Do you do that? Will you ask Him to change your heart so that you desire wisdom and discipline and submission? Will you reject the wisdom of the world and the pride of your abilities to embrace His gifts? This is what He calls us to. This is what Proverbs calls us to. And the rest of Scripture to submit to the transforming power of Jesus.